Welcome to the Pirate's Eye Podcast, produced by the Seton Hall Alumni Engagement and Philanthropy Department. I'm your host, Bianca Velez, Class of 2010 alumna and Director of Alumni Communication and Digital Engagement here at Seton Hall. Each month, I'll be sitting down with an alumnus to talk about their career, their life journey, and the role that Seton Hall has played in getting them where they are today, or continues to play. guest today, Brian Jakovich, is a 2009 Seton Hall graduate with a track record of entrepreneurship that dates back to the fourth grade. But at 19 years old, Brian found himself kicked out of college, and although working in finance on Wall Street, he was yearning to get back to his self-starter essence. And it was then he started his Seton Hall story. Welcome to episode three. Brian, thank you so much for taking the time out to speak with me on the Pirate's Eye podcast. I am excited to chat with you today. Likewise, Bianca. Thank you. So as a student and as an alumnus, you've been pretty heavily involved with the Center for Entrepreneurial Studies at the Hall. And I know there's a great story of your time as a student that kicked off that relationship, which I definitely want to get into. But I feel like to appreciate that, we have to understand how you got to Seton Hall in the first place because you actually didn't come in as a freshman, right? Correct, yeah. So, you know, my, my road to Seton Hall um, was one, not, not, not so much out of desperation, but just trying to find myself. I, I initially started as a freshman at Fordham University. And, you know, my background, you know, really comes from my upbringing. My parents are both from former Yugoslavia, uh, both met here in the States, but had their own unique road to get to the United States. My father is an entrepreneur, um, built a successful trucking business here in the United States throughout the nation. And, you know, even from a young age, I always kind of looked up to him and how he was able to build things. And, you know, if there were to be a tagline kind of associates my name, I, I think it's builder. You know, I always had an interest in how things worked, you know, how things were and how they got there. So, you know, watching my dad and getting, uh, being interested in how he built a company was something that I really kind of followed and, and grew up with. They always su- uh, supported me as an entrepreneur. You know, there's still a story going on at my grammar school, St. Leo's over in Lincroft, New Jersey, where when we received our pen privileges in fourth grade, so that's when, you know, we were able to actually graduate, so, you know, so to speak, from using a pencil to a pen. I saw the opportunity to make a couple bucks there and have my mom buy pens for me so I could sell them to the kids in my class when they got their pen privileges. And, and the school actually wound up calling my parents up and explaining to them that I was kind of undermining the entire uh, closet uh, that was downstairs where they sold pens out of. Mrs. Mooney got upset that I was effectively taking her sales away from her. But again, that kind of was me from a young age and people, even going back to grammar school, you know, wrecking, they, they, they're not surprised by seeing me build a business uh, which I have today, even through high school, again, seizing the opportunity, um, kids in my class were getting their, their driver's license. So everybody wanted to drive fast. Everybody wanted their cars. And I saw the opportunity to become a distributor for consumer electronics and more specifically, uh, radar detectors. So here's my locker filled with radar detectors. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much selling them out of my locker to the kids at a good price. And again, that that type of mentality is something that even took me uh, through Fordham University, where I started a business. But what changed there was that 
I was I was actually this was really my the first time I got burned. Um, you know, it was a startup I had, and I got that I got the idea to start that business um, because I was elected as president of the freshman class and needed to effectively complete a ton of paperwork that I, I really didn't sign up for. So I created a solution, a software that actually would help automate the processing of that. And the, the short of it was that I eventually was kicked out of Fordham because of their strict attendance policy. Um, so even though my GPA, while not great, uh, was definitely not uh, enough to fail me out, but because of their strict attendance policies, uh, I effectively found myself kicked out of Fordham after my freshman year, um, to much the disappointment of my parents and so forth. So. You know, I look at myself as a 18, 19-year-old kid, um, kicked out of college. You know, I was, a, I really, you know, in my mind blew an opportunity. I was the first person in my family to go to college. My mom was beyond devastated. And, um, you know, as any parents would do now being a parent, but again, my children are young, you always have their, the best for them in mind. Right. And, and I think my parents thought that they can kind of, you know, trick me almost into going back to school by actually having me go and go to work for a couple of days with my neighbor who was uh, an institutional uh, broker, a, a trader on, on Wall Street. Right. And, you know, th that, that's kind of one of the things where I went, I saw it, I loved it, and my mind totally got into finance. Finance was where I wanted to be. Finance was to make money. It would be awesome to be this big investment banker and wheel and deal huge deals. And that, that's what I wanted to be. And they thought that they can kind of trick me into going back to school by persuading me saying, hey, Brian, you can't have a life like this unless you go back and get your college degree. And again, the entrepreneurship in me and, and just the go-getter, I think I, was, I pretty much told them, no, I'm going to go do this the way I want to. And again, my parents came in, ultimately, and my dad more so, and supported me in saying, why don't you go put your resume together? You've done all these things. You're, you're young. You know, you've done these things to, you know, 19 years old. Why don't you go put a resume together, literally go up to Wall Street and hand out your resume. And, you know, it's funny to think about this stuff now. It's just, it blows my mind to think that here I am, kicked out of college, you know, 19 years old, literally handing out paper resumes to anybody who had a nice suit on. Right. And, <laughs> and, and it worked. One guy, he kind of said, why don't you come upstairs and, and interview with us? And I was like, wow, you know. That this is this might actually work out. So I went upstairs, 42nd floor of World Financial Tower Two, walked into what was everything I could have imagined that I'd want to be in. A high power, high pressure, high, you know, quick moving trading floor, um, you know, trading room, uh, people on the phones, you know, slamming the phones, calling up people, making deals. So here I am, um, you know, junior broker after I got my licenses on Wall Street. Uh, calling up people, and I quickly came to realize that everything that I thought I wanted to do in life was not. I realized that I had gone to work in a boiler room. It, it's just, it was crazy, and I realized I made a huge mistake, and that's really what got me to Seton Hall. Um, you know, I ran back, and in pretty much the, the, the fall semester just started, ran over to, um, to admissions and said, I really made a bad mistake. I'm not a bad kid. Please, please, please let me in. Like, just, just please. And they did a same day admission to me. And I came in a couple of days after class had started. And that's really what trans started the transformation, I, I think, of my life into, you know, where I've gone today. 
Wow. So yeah. when you went to Fordham, were you originally planning uh, a finance career? Yes. So I, I was I was always interested in finance. Again, growing up just where I did, a lot of people, um, you know, they, they worked in the finance industry. I, I grew up in Middletown Township, which, um, you know, unfortunately was also kind of a, a ground zero of sorts for 9-11. Um, a lot of my uh, my friend's father's work at Canada Fitzgerald. So again, I just grew up knowing finance um, and was just something I was always intrigued by. So, um, yeah. Wow. Now, you were thinking of a career in finance, but obviously have always had entrepreneurship just running through your veins. So how did it feel when that started to become very clear to you that your career was going to be shifting into entrepreneurship? Was it nerve wracking? Did you get filled with self-doubt or did you feel like the final piece of the puzzle just clicked right into place and you were whole? So, so when you look at it, you know, aside from that short stint on Wall Street for about a year and a half, two years, um, entrepreneurship was all I knew. Um, that was the only job I really ever had was working for myself and, 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 and making money by myself, for myself, kind of going against the odds. So I never had your typical summer job working at, you know, a coffee shop or mowing lawns. I was always trying to figure out, you know, an angle and, and an approach to make money um, and, you know, ultimately get other people working for me to, you know, um, to kind of expand on that and make more money. So I, I think what, what really changed gears and the whole thing, again, was kind of that entry into Seton Hall where, you know, I, I, I approached it as a job. I knew when I went to Seton Hall that, you know, while finance was the, the thing in the back of my mind that I always wanted, what was really what, what I was really meant to do was to be an entrepreneur and to run a business, to build business, to build things. So I approached Seton Hall in in a way where I treated it kind of like a job where I came in and did, you know, between you know, 15, 18, one semester, I did 21 credits, two days a week. So I came in, my first class was whatever it was, 7.30 in the morning. I can't remember what time. And I would I would ride my class through the entire day. And what that did was it, it allowed me to move forward in getting that college education. Um, and I mean, I, I, it's invaluable to me now, but at that time I was just really doing it to appease my parents mm-hmm. and to actually have that safety net. Right. But I approached it by having two days a week, you know, going to school. But what that allowed me to do was have not just the three working days to do something myself, but also that Saturday. So I found myself having four days to really focus on building a business. And and that's really where Seton Hall kind of inspired me, uh, supported me, and did a lot of things that unfortunately Fordham uh, did not. Um, you know, at Seton Hall, I befriended a couple other students, and you know that was really the time of the financial crisis starting. So that was 2008, 2009, and I remember, you know, thinking to myself, the entire future of what the you know these students had is falling apart in front of them. I remember sitting in one of the finance classes shorting Lehman Brothers because everything was just falling out. Right. And, you know, that, that's where I came up with the idea. And you tend to give it as a mashup between eHarmony and Monster. So it was taking resumes of individuals, leveraging a, a database from the Department of Labor and matching them to job openings based on the keywords and syntax within those resumes. And I, uh, Susan Sher from the Center of Entrepreneurial Studies always kind of you know, I'll see her all the time and she's like, she'll point to the fourth floor in Jubilee and say, that's where you started at. 
Yeah, that's where you were really kind of building things. And yeah, we, we broke into that room. I mean, we were looking for any place to work. Right. But even even though they kind of found out, they always supported us. Right. You know, and that, that was one of the big things there. That's so, amazing. Again, yeah, no, it, it was it was crazy. And, you know, we really thought we were going to pull it off. And, you know, they always say when you when you talk, talk about entrepreneurship, entrepreneurialism, you know, you have to fall on your face to get back up to be successful. Uh, U-Visor, which is what we started there at Scene Hall, really kind of was that. You know, I thought we had all the magic to make this thing big and successful. And what I realized was, while the idea was good, I had no clue what I was getting into. I had no idea how big human resource management solutions were. And ultimately, U-Visor failed, even though we were able to, we were selected one of 25 companies to go out to this big, uh, you know, kind of web, you know, uh, software unveiling ceremony in, in Silicon Valley. You know, we had a, a couple hundred thousand um, users on the site, but it failed miserably because we didn't really have the financial model figured out, and we didn't realize what we were up against in that industry. So, you know, but but that's one aspect of what I was doing while I was at Scene Hall because behind the scenes, I started another company uh, called Fusion, and that is the success story that you know is me today. But the thing was that I was, you know, I was quiet about it because it wasn't salacious. It wasn't, you know, the, 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 the glamorous thing, you know, that I kind of wanted, um, you know, again, going back and growing up, you know, to be a financier, to be a, a business banker, you know, to be a, a, a kind of a Silicon Valley, you know, superstar. Right. What I stumbled across was I saw the need and the opportunity to actually start helping, initially consulting and, and, and building what's known as an electronic health record for the prison industry. So, you know, times are changing and software is evolving. And if you go to your doctors today, they all have these type of solutions today. Um, again, luck is something that always comes into, uh, I think, uh, the equation. Uh, Obamacare had expanded and effectively demanded that all healthcare records become electronic over the next decade. So, without even knowing the industry, I kind of caught onto 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 that you know got on that boat so to speak, right. and found the opportunity that there that the prison business and the the prisons and jails throughout the country are largely underserved, largely privatized, which people don't realize. And there was so much room to enhance what was there because only the biggest companies out there, companies like GE Healthcare and McKesson, just to name a couple, were the only ones actually even entertaining that space. So what, what I effectively was doing, again, behind the scenes of UVISE, which I thought was really going to be a huge hit, was Fusion, which was paying the bills for UVISE effectively. And long story short, you know, UVISE failed. Uh, Fusion uh, Health, which is the company I have now, now employs almost 100, 100 people. We're based in Woodbridge, New Jersey, and we are the nation's largest provider of healthcare IT solutions for the Department of Corrections and Prisons. So wow. that's kind of the story. And again, um, yeah, so it's kind of a long-winded one, but it's it's just a crazy um, story of you know experience. And um, I really, you know, Seen Hall just was so supportive of you know me in my endeavors and just everything. Absolutely. And I actually want to unpack some of that because I think it's fascinating. And so you had this idea for a company that you were running with, UVisor, 
which frankly sounds like it was a little bit ahead of its time considering how platforms right now are matching resumes with jobs and you can kind of fill out your profile and it'll auto send you a position that you might be interested in. And you're talking about this idea back in 2008, right? Yep, 2008, 2009, correct. Yeah, so I mean, that's a fascinating in itself that you in 2008 are thinking about some type of system that right now is really being utilized. And at the same time, working on another company, Fusion, which ended up mm -hmm. being the one that you ran with. And you're, you're managing essentially two companies as a student at Seton Hall. I understand you, Visor, but break down Fusion for us in, in kind of like the simplified terms for, for anybody that doesn't understand the inside baseball of it. Sure. So, so with, with, in a prison and jail, again, they're located all throughout the country. Um, each jail and prison has the equivalent of a small hospital or, or medical clinic within it. So part of the inmate bill of rights is that they have access to adequate health care. And within those jails and prisons, by and large, those health care facilities are actually managed by private corporations. Um, there are private corporations that are both public and private, as well as subsidiaries of state universities. So, you know, there, there, there's a large business operation that goes on that to the public, they don't even know what's going on. And there's been a huge fundamental shift over the last two decades uh, where it went from a lock them up and throw away the key kind of mentality to rehabilitation and care. By and large, prisoners, uh, you know, inmates are among the sickest population in the country, uh, both men mentally and physically, and require rehabilitative care so that they are not a danger either to themselves or to others out in the public. So again, part of that delivery includes the documentation and management of that inmate's healthcare. So what was happening before Fusion really got into the game was that if a patient, say, was diabetic or had a cardiac issue, you were relying on paper, stick it notes, a whiteboard to actually make sure that that patient was followed up on appropriately. There was a lot of waste, financial waste, medical waste, where or orders or labs or even surgeries were being duplicated because people weren't communicating or that inmate got transferred to another facility within the state. So what our solution really does is streamline the documentation of an inmate's healthcare, kind of document their story accordingly and cleanly, and also manage the follow-up care of that patient to make sure that they remain healthy, as healthy as possible, because not only for the good of the inmate, so they can become, you know, good citizens once once they're released, but also to mitigate the expenditure of that inmate for those private healthcare companies. So, for example, you can manage diabetes very easily when it's managed, but if you let diabetes run away with it, if it's unmanaged, by the time you catch it, it might be too late. The costs are high, and the patient's at risk. So wow. that kind of again talks to how we our software you know, kind of even leverages AI like we had at UVisor, where we have predicted, we can predict, you know, which patients might need more care than others, or, hey, look at this patient has all these symptoms, they might have these other underlying symptoms. So that's kind of the stuff that we're bringing to the market. Wow, that is fascinating and, and certainly something that I didn't know. So 
Um, thank you for sharing that. How did you feel when you realized Uvisor was not it and Fusion was it and you decided to basically run with it and go full throttle to get you to where you are now? This kind of goes back to, I think, your kind of a question you had earlier was, you know, when was I self-doubting? When was I fearful? Um, you know, one thing I realized at that time was I, Uvisor was so dead, it was deader than dead. So that was kind of bittersweet, um, definitely a learning kind of component. Um, uh, it was just a financial loss for sure. And then, you know, with Fusion, it, it, that was really a, a pivotal point because here I am, maybe 24, and realizing that, okay, here, here's, here's, here's where you're going to regret something you do in your life for the rest of your life, or you're going to be really happy. And, you know, my friends who I'd grown up with, were really kind of getting settled into their careers. A lot of them wound up going the finance route, lawyers, things like that, becoming successful, doing things that they enjoyed and wanted to do in their life. And those years of experience are important years, especially up front, to really get ahead in a career. Right. So, you know, I'm looking at this. I'm looking at this. I'm looking at my brother, to be honest, and saying, you know, we're brothers. I know, you know, you're saying you want to kind of do this in the infusion, but I don't really have a plan. I really didn't see at the time the true opportunity of the industry. I was just starting to get it, you know, figured out myself. I mean, by no means were we wildly successful at that point in time at Fusion. You know, I was still just, I, I was still trying to figure it out. You know, that that's really where I kind of took a step back and, you know, starting to see things, they were going in the right direction. You know, I, I was able to buy a house at that time, um, you know, had my brother's an employee uh, and another one. Um, but again, cheap, you know, their, their salaries are nothing. You know, that, that's where I said, you know what, let's, let's give this, a, let's, let's, let's go for another wild ride. You know, <laughs> let's see where this one lands and really kind of dedicated at that point, all my resources and efforts into it, uh, you know, six days a week, you know, working till midnight, 1am thinking that that's when normal people work till going home, crashing for two or three hours and then coming back at it again. That's really the point I think where I was like, is this is this gonna work? Am I gonna turn back in 20 years? You know, realize that I was just one of those entrepreneurs who was, was nothing but an idea man, but couldn't succeed, couldn't couldn't build the things correctly. And um, thankfully, you know, that one that one hit. You know, Fusion Health again uh, for the last three years, we've been one of the fastest growing private companies in America on the Inc. 5000 list. Wow. Um, we were the ninth fastest growing company in New Jersey last year. We just acquired our first business down in Topeka, Kansas. Uh, they're they're in our they're in our space. Uh, so now we are not just the largest EHR in corrections. We are also the largest the largest pharmacy management system. So it's it's surreal, but again, it's you got to go all in sometimes. You really can't. You, that that's kind of one of my philosophies. You can't kind of be a half entrepreneur. Right. You know, you got to be all in. And, you know, you're not only doing well, you're also doing good. Your affinity for Seton Hall radiates, and I know that's translated into a, a philanthropic role for you. So how did that moment come to be where you felt like you were doing so well that it was time to do some good for your alma mater? I went to Christian Brothers Academy in Lincroft, New Jersey, the all-boy preparatory high school. And... You know, that graduating from there was an awesome experience. I went into college figuring that I was never going to have a similar experience to my high school. Seton Hall totally flipped my mentality. 
you know, I made, I, I met some of my best friends there. Um, the ability to, and the accessibility to teachers and resources and just the entire experience and even the culture of the university itself was really something that struck me. You know, again, with Susan Sherrick uh, and, and the Center for Entrepreneurial Studies there, you know, I started the entrepreneurship club at the school and she just backed me and just had a genuine interest. And that's one of the things that I really appreciated, appreciated most with Stephen Hall was their interest in the students. Um, it wasn't just the class they were coming in and teach. All the, all the professors really brought real-world examples and scenarios to the class that actually made us understand what we were learning. They actually made us want to use it in our, our lives. I mean, I kind of spoke about this previously also, the queuing model. Um, that's something I, I still use to this day uh, when, when it comes to how many people do I need on my support staff? How long can somebody wait before being serviced, before they become disgruntled or hang up. You know, so it, it's things like that, that maybe the professors don't think we're paying attention, but just we were. And, uh, and you know, as you know, I became successful in my own right, you know, I, I definitely wanted to give back because I wanted to see the program expand uh, for it to be as good as I know it can be. And to, in some ways direct uh, my contributions in such a way to ensure that some of the red tape was cut for the program, like Center for Entrepreneurial Studies, to get that in the business school. So there wasn't necessarily like this like pivotal moment where I was like, I must give back right now. Okay. It was definitely something where I felt that, you know, I'm still talking to the people at CN Hall. I'm getting more and more involved. I really just want to see this like. I, I want to do what I can to make Seton Hall the powerhouse it could be with, within this area. Wow. Well, that's great. And thank you so much for, for continuing to be an involved alum. It, I think it's so meaningful to see people graduate from Seton Hall and then still have Seton Hall retain this priority placement in their life among all these other things. You know, we're talking to you, you're an entrepreneur, you're running a company, I'm sure you're extremely busy, you have a family, but yet you still have a place for Seton Hall and, and continue to be involved. So I think that's pretty impressive. Thank you for that. No, I, I, I appreciate that. You know, I, I'm not somebody, I like to think of myself as not somebody who goes out there looking for recognition for what I do. Um, you know, again, I, I just got off a call before this with um, the people with one, who will become my operations manager out in Topeka. And, you know, she, she's kind of saying that, oh, so-and-so was nervous when, when they gave you a presentation the other day. I'm like, why? I'm, I'm nobody. I'm just another guy. Um, you know, I want to see everybody succeed. I want everybody to be comfortable. You know, I want, I, I want it to be normal. You know, even with regards to the contributions I'm making to Hall, I didn't do it with the thought of any form of recognition in mind. I did it because it felt right. You know, I've, I've been uh, I've been a firefighter. Uh, I was a volunteer firefighter growing up. Still, I'm involved in the community where I live today. But again, you know, you don't do that for the recognition so much as for the purpose right. and what your what your contributions and effort uh, can do for the people uh, that you you impact and touch. So that, that, that's that's the mentality behind it all. But yeah, Sue Sue Hall, like I said, it's. My, my, my son uh, has the bib on every, pretty much every meal when he eats. We have a couple of them at this point. So um, he, he'll, he'll be, uh, he'll be uh, over there soon enough, I'm sure. 
<laughs> well, and, you know, speaking of philanthropic efforts and giving back, recently your name was buzzing around campus um, for stepping up to provide some support during this um, COVID-19 pandemic that we're experiencing right now as we as we record this conversation um, for workers out there on the front lines. So tell us a little bit about that. Corrections is not in the spotlight for the reasons it should be, um, both in the general news as well as during the COVID. Um, it, it was crazy when, you know, this was starting out. And of course, of course, you're hearing that, you know, spreading, you know, all these things. And then you come to find out that, you know, the jails and prisons throughout the country are being impacted. And again, as I mentioned, we're dealing with some of the sickest patient population in the country in these facilities, jails in particular. So we, we were getting calls from our, our jail clients off the record, just begging for, for anything, a, a telephone number even of somebody they can call who might have some supplies. Wow. And, and that, 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 that kind of hit me. But again, I was like, okay, you know, we can go down this route. Um, probably going to have to deal with the legal aspects of quote-unquote donating. And then I, it hit me when actually in Hudson County, two people that I actually knew for years died from this. And I called up the healthcare vendor there. I was asking them and, you know, like pretty much what's happening. And, you know, she explained to me, they cannot get the materials. They cannot, they can't find it. They can't buy it. It's not even about the money at this point. And uh, that's, that's when I came across um, a fellow high school alum who is in the printing business and he converted, um, you know, he saw what was going on and converted his printing operation into a, a face shield uh, production, uh, you know, kind of, you know, um, output. And uh, we partnered with them to actually donate 25,000 face shields to the, the frontline medical staff and correctional officers uh, in, in not just our clients, but across the country to really help them at least be as, a little bit safer. You know, we didn't have the N95 masks. We didn't have gloves. We did not... We weren't, you know, a, you know, distillery making hand sanitizer, but you know, we did the best we could to try and help the people who nobody was even mentioning. You know, we we publicized it on social media to try and bring uh, attention to those other the other frontline workers that are impacted that nobody's really talking about. So uh, we received very good response, and our we I received phone calls from from uh, the 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 uh, medical director at a state DOC crying that, that we gave this to them. So I'm really happy to see that, you know, a lot of the bureaucracy and red tape could just be bypassed in a time of need like this. And that, you know, we did our, we did the best we could and did our part in trying to help those, uh, you know, in need. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. And, you know, my condolences to the loss that you have experienced and keep their families in, in our thoughts and prayers for sure. No, thank you. I'd love to just hear what you have in terms of advice for fellow pirates, whether that be alumni and our students, but especially our students, especially those that are going through their semester right now from from afar. No, definitely. Uh, it's got to be a huge challenge to be a student today, you know, trying to learn independently where you are, um, especially you know, without that social interaction, that that's difficult. I did. I was actually a speaker for um, one of the Stillman teachers' classes a couple weeks ago on Zoom, and it's just crazy to see all the boxes on the screen. And this is what class and education is today in America. So it's definitely a challenge. Yeah. 
you know, obviously the students are going through their curriculum. Um, they're moving forward, which is definitely a plus. But the, you're hearing it more and more on, I at least on the radio uh, when I'm in the car, but you're hearing it more of, you're buying some time back. You know, you're, you're, you spend the time with your family, spend, it, spend the time doing the things that you always kind of said you wanted to get done. I spoke earlier about how you can't, in my opinion, be a half dedicated entrepreneur. So this is an, this is a unique time where I, I think, you know, if you are a student that is looking to, you know, make a splash, to go off on your own, to be an entrepreneur, take the time that you're given now and, and figure out how to use it to the best of your advantage. You know, if you've been trying to get that, you know, your business plan off the ground, you know, you're not, especially if you're a you know, student commuting back and forth, you're not commuting right now. Take that time to put forward in that rather than play video games. You know, they also speak, uh, I was listening on the news the other day about how, you know, it's interesting to see how in 10 years from now, what mega companies are going to exist because they saw an opportunity during this coronavirus epidemic and jumped on it. You know, this is actually, while it's a very scary time, I think a very exciting time because there's so many unknowns and unknowns, in my opinion, are what breed and promote creativity, entrepreneurs, um, and hopefully in the long term, success. Absolutely. I love your perspective. It has been so interesting to listen to your story and your level of compassion and how you demonstrate servant leadership through it all. Thank you so much for taking the time out to speak with me today and giving your advice to the pirate community. Is there anything else that you'd like to add? That's probably the hardest question the entire interview. Um, no, that, <laughs> I think that's it. I'm, I'm available to any student that thinks I might be of any help with them. Um, you know, I am on the board of advisors for the Center of Entrepreneurial Studies and also was uh, the a judge on the pirate's pitch. So, you know, again, I, I like to offer myself out to anybody in the Steen Hall community who feels that I might be of any assistance or service to them. I already have a several, I already have several students that I'm kind of mentoring, um, just kind of being a soundboard for them. So again, just uh, my, my offer to anybody else out there who might uh, need, need any guidance, help, whatever it might be. Absolutely. And is there a, a way for people to come in contact with you? Sure. Uh, so uh, you can definitely reach out to me on LinkedIn. Uh, my name again is Brian Jakovich. It's Brian with a Y. And uh, J A K O V like Victor C I C, um, or again you could also reach out to Susan Sherrick at the Center for Entrepreneurial Studies. She has all my contact information as well. Perfect. All right, Brian, it has been such a pleasure. Thank you so much, and um, continue to just stay safe and be well. No, definitely appreciate Bianca. Do you do the same? And so the same to everybody else in the Seamall community. Thank you. Brian is one example of more than one hundred thousand alumni who demonstrate what great minds can do with a CN Hall education. If you know of a fellow pirate that we should have our eye on, don't hesitate to email us at alumni at shu.edu. Also, make sure you stay up to date with all of the virtual engagement opportunities being offered by the Alumni Engagement and Philanthropy Department. We're making sure that during this time of social distancing, alumni near and far still have ways to enhance their relationship with Seton Hall. Share the news of this podcast with your friends and follow at Seton Hall Alumni on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks for listening. 
Hope you join us for the next episode of the Seton Hall Pirate's Eye Podcast. Mm-hmm.